Now to growing concerns about total cases in the U.S. now top 8.4 million. You must stay at home. The new variant of coronavirus is out of control. You can't be serious, man. I hate you, 2020! Well, that was a pile of crap, I know. However, we did see some amazing tech companies emerge from the crisis. And this podcast is me going around the world talking to founders of these companies. And some of these founder stories are absolutely amazing and can't wait to share them with you. So, from San Francisco to Sydney, my name's Ben Kenwright, introducing the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. Okay, so welcome back to the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club. Today we're meeting Holly Stevens, and I would say where we're going to meet Holly, but I literally can't keep up with where she is. Holly is probably the only person I've ever met who is growing a very successful startup whilst being on the road. So they're doing a few months in different countries as they grow this startup and this very international team. This startup being Subly, slight clue in the title, they're a subtitle company and their business exploded around March last year when a lot of corporate needed to subtitle videos. They needed to translate those subtitles into other languages. They're up to like 60,000 listeners now. It's crazy, crazy growth. Holly's very interesting as well. Holly's worked for some massive companies such as Google. and She's had a few of her own businesses along the way. She's been a YouTuber and well, we just have a lot to talk about now. So without further ado, getting into this week's episode, introducing Holly Stevens of Subly. Holly Stevens, how are you? I'm good, Ben. How are you? It's good. Good to be here. Good to see you again. Welcome to the, uh, well, welcome officially to the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club. Thank you. Thank you. I'm good. It's good to be here. And you are indeed a 2020 entrepreneur. And uh, where are you in the world right now? I'm actually based in Tenerife, which I never thought I would ever visit. But I've been here for around two months, but I'm moving to Croatia on Sunday. Okay. So now that you mention it, maybe we should start with this because this is a very interesting part of Holly Stevens and business. Um, so what are you doing in Tenerife and why are you moving to Croatia on Sunday? I originally came to Tenerife um, because I was, I've was i always been remote um, since starting this business. So actually yeah, a whole team, uh, which we can get into, but we're, we're based between Australia, UK, Amsterdam. And it got to the point in October 2020 where the business really grown to a significant at a significant rate and everyone was still remote so I didn't really need to be in the UK lockdown came in again for the second time in in London and the UK and I was like I'm getting out of here and yeah decided to go over to uh, Lisbon ended up in the Algarve after that and then decided to move over to Tenerife with my boyfriend and then we're off to Croatia so uh yeah, just, just traveling around quite a lot, which is really nice because every time you go to a new country, you get this new kind of life and a bit of a release. So, yeah, it gives us a, a lot of a lot of freedom, uh, the life that we have at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I can't wait to unpack this in more detail because it's kind of, it's not the norm when you're starting a serious tech scale up. You know, investors don't really want to see you leave the room, let alone leave the country. So we'll definitely get into that in more detail. And um, where are you moving to in Croatia? We're going to Dubrovnik and then we might go over to Montenegro from Dubrovnik. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not sure if I want to talk to you anymore, to be honest, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> Making everyone jealous. Sorry. 
So going back to the start, um, Subly is a very exciting brand. I can see you guys' successes because, you, well, you're good at the marketing front. You definitely keep everyone in the know on social media and we'll obviously be uh, ensuring all the traffic from the podcast is diverted that way. Um, but as we always do, 2020 Entrepreneur, let's wind it back to uh, January last year. I know you had the plan and the idea for a while, but it's January. We didn't even know what COVID was at this point. Where's Holly? Where's Subly at, at this point in time? Yeah, at this point, I was actually back in, in 2019. Yeah, 2019, I'd moved back to the UK from Australia and actually went back to Google for the third time working there and just had this idea for Subly at this point. Um, we kind of had a little team together, had a link together in 2019, but we hadn't launched anything. And I remember pitching in January 2020 at the Founder Institute Accelerator program that we were on, and it was their pitch de demo night. And I just presented the whole idea after doing the accelerator around what Subly could be. And by the end of January 2020 and into February 2020, we launched Subly at that point. And I remember us, the team now, remote team of, I think it was six or seven of us at this point. And all of us working part-time and, and holding up our full-time jobs just to see if this could get off the ground. I remember seeing like 100 people within a week signed up on to Subly and we're just like tracking on Slack the numbers coming through. And I was panicking at this point that we wouldn't get further than 100 users or even make revenue. And actually what, that ha what happened at fe from February to March is that more people were coming online, people were hearing about us just organically because we had this actually really basic product and we had a bunch of bugs that need to be fixed. But people were just talking about what Subly is and how you need to add subtitles onto your videos as everyone's remote now and you'll get more engagement. And so people were just coming across to Subly. And then what did happen is then actually the schools then also went online and teachers needed to subtitle their content for those students that are hard of hearing and other um and then other universities needed to do the same because a lot of them have international students as well and they have to comply with laws around this and so going from just a single idea for probably more creators more than anything because we could get to them very easily through social media rather than kind of going a b2b route uh, what did happen is then everyone needed subly and so we just started to see this very nice uh kind of um nice mountain of growth that was coming and yeah, that, that continued throughout 2020 and it went from zero users in February 2020 and now we're in end of April 2021 and we're at 60,000 users. So it's had pretty rapid growth during this time. 60,001 actually, because um, I've just signed up. Hey, there we go. So this is the epitome of the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club. I mean, obviously, if you start a business in 2020, it's a very unique time. Uh, in which to start a business, but you are in the rarer category of starting out when the world was normal and then the world turned fucking bananas, right? So uh, the, uh, there's a really fascinating part here. You're doing this as your side hustle. Well, you're, you're bootstrapping and you're working the day job uh, and what the rest of the, the team is working their day jobs at the same point, right? Correct, yes. So I actually didn't even go full-time until June 2020. And we've been, yeah, testing that, yeah, for five, six months before uh, when we launched. And I was in the mornings, I was kind of getting up at five o'clock. 
I was commuting in London on the pretty much trying to get the the, the first tube in um, from South London into uh, Tottenham Court Road. And I'd get in and I'd probably go for a coffee in one of the coffee shops in the morning, do some work with the Australian team uh, because they'd now finish their day of their of our overlap. I'd do my whole day at work. I'd go to a coffee shop at lunch. I'd then, um, at the end of the day, I would then be doing work as well and probably wouldn't get home till 9 p.m. Um, so, yeah, a lot of us did a lot of sacrifices during that, that first six months. And then uh, when we raised our first round of funding between February and April 2020, it did mean that we could start to properly employ people. Um, and I still left it a couple of months before I went full-time. That's, yeah, that's amazing. I think you're definitely the first on the podcast who was growing a serious business while still working. A lot of people, um, to, uh, to be honest, most people we've had have raised serious seed money, right? Uh, or they, they've had previous businesses and um, there wasn't such a financial sacrifice on a personal level. Um, even with me, I, I could afford to quit my job and start another, even though I, I wasn't previously a business owner. Um, being in lockdown and not spending any money helped a, a lot of people, obviously. But so you're at this point where you're working on this concept, and we'll get more into that in a minute. But you're working on this concept. Your original kind of business growth strategy was around creatives, people creating content. I, I'm presuming um, like YouTubers and that those type that need subtitles because no one actually clicks on the video anymore, right? Um, and then you've presented this, you've pitched, and in February, March, you're starting to gain traction because the product is good, the MVP is working. And you can see the work where you can see COVID come in. What was your initial thoughts as to, well, this huge global pandemic that's sending the world into lockdown? Was it panic? Was it opportunity? Was it both? Talk us through that moment. Honestly, we did not know. I don't think anyone knew the extent that COVID would be. So for us, it was just, okay, we're a remote team. We can continue. Let's just keep building. Let's keep doing what we set out to do. We did not expect, I don't think anyone did, how much this impacted the world. And we didn't expect that this would go on for so long either. We probably thought, you know, okay, as we did in the UK, it's kind of, oh, we're gonna, we've got three weeks in lockdown. Oh, that's another extension of another three weeks, another three weeks. And then, okay, that'll be lifted and then everyone go back to work. But that, hasn't, that has not been the case now for a year. And we just didn't expect that. We were just set straight on, let's get our product out there. Let's first target creators, business owners, coaches, people we can get to very easily and through content marketing. And we don't have to spend any money on marketing either. Just do what we need to do, build a great product, get it out there. And if success comes of it, then amazing. Like we've done all our plans that we set out to achieve, but it was really right product, right time. We just couldn't, we wouldn't have expected that everyone would be in lockdown for so long and people would have to communicate so much on video and seeing that that increase it would just not have expected so we just kept doing what we needed to do to get that product going so what was the point where you thought this is way bigger than we thought we when you're holding on for dear life what was that point when you thought right how do we like step this up a notch yeah i would actually say that the when thinking that this is a big opportunity, it wasn't at the point that we launched. It was all in that pre-planning of kind of thinking of that idea. And that idea came back in kind of 2018, 2019, where in 2018, I had a YouTube channel 
And I also had a marketing agency. I was doing a lot of content for clients. And my previous background, I'd worked at Google on product launches, uh, Xerox in internal comms and product launches as well. And all of this content was all video. And we had a major problem that this content could not be localized in an easy way. It could not be translated. If we were doing a transcript, we had to get our internal teams to review it because you couldn't send a piece of internal secure information to external teams. Everything had to be done internally. And so we, I saw this problem from all my different roles I've had. And then it, did, it wasn't until that I really had that pain point as a YouTuber and doing this content for my own business that I realized, actually, this is a nightmare for creators. And all they want to do is create content. Why they're spending so much time adding subtitles and editing it, and it's still complex. And they're spending time getting freelancers to maybe edit the video for them. And then they're having to do this extra process of subtitling and translation and it's not easy in all in in kind of one format and so that's when it first started that that little kind of light bulb idea and then I just kept doing videos and kept trying compete competitive products like these aren't good enough for what I need it for and it's not good enough for how I would share it with the team if I was working with them or if I needed to get it all this all of this translated so that came in 2018 and from that point it just kind of snowballed that as we were starting to think about the idea and more people got involved with our idea from my co-founder starting to build the first idea from the subtitling kind of piece, if we just start with that, to then Lucy coming on our product manager and she was starting to do user testing interviews and see what they would think about a product like this and how they would use it. And as we did more user testing and as we did more user interviews and Kevin was building and I was marketing, it was just getting shared but it was getting shared between people just referring it to each other and people were hearing about it on, oh, this is coming. We really need this. When's it launching? People were just contacting me. And then from the user interviews, it wasn't just a creator. It was a podcaster. It was a television company. It was an internal comms company of Fortune 500 who had seen it in a social media group, but they need it actually for internal comms. And as that was happening, it started to validate it more for me that, okay, it's not just me who has this issue. This issue still exists. There isn't a solution out there that's good enough for them. And that's really before all of that work had been done. We just had to start with that simple subtitling problem. And then all those other solutions and all those other problems could be solved from that one single idea if we got that right. And that's still what we're doing today. And we're still on that mission. We're still on that journey. We still have that vision in mind. And we're slowly... Um, starting to increase the feature sets that we have with Subly, uh, but it's all came from that 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 really simple problem that we wanted to solve. So let's talk about that problem and jump into the product now, because a sub a subtitling isn't new. Obviously, we've seen it on TV for decades, right? I guess the uh, social media and YouTuber phenomenon is newer, um, but most people read subtitles every day and don't have a clue where those subtitles come from. My recent experience of subtitles was the podcast. We realized that when we were putting out snippets, uh, people don't click, so you have to put a subtitle on it. And ours is like a free thing that comes with another platform, and it's not very good. We basically, well, it doesn't understand a word I say. Honestly, we'll have to put somebody to the test. It might end up being like a funny spin-off video. For some reason, my accent and subtitle technology just doesn't go. It just comes out in like Mandarin. It's all <laughs> anyway. Back to subtitling. Um, yeah, you have to type it up. It's clunky and you know it, it's just it's quite laborious. Um, 
but it works. And, you know, I guess every um, business out there or every media channel that needed subtitles before had some tool in which to create those subtitles. So what goes back to the problem and what Subly does differently and better than everything out there, what, that problem that it's solving? Sure. So a lot of people relate with what you just said as well, Ben, is that they just see subtitles sometimes. They don't know what really goes into it. And as a creator or even a video production team around the world, anyone creating video, it is really time consuming. You are uploading, you're re-downloading video, you're chopping it. And then the other problem that you have is then repurposing it into the right size for Instagram stories, for Instagram feed, for LinkedIn, for Twitter. And you want to share this everywhere and really test which is the best channel for you at that point. And you may just try every single channel. You will try new channels that may come out like TikTok, for example. So from that, you've already got the one problem where repurposing it is a huge issue. So you might have a long YouTube video, a long podcast, which may be an hour. You want, to, you want to take those snippets, which is one problem that you've got. You also want to repurpose into the right size format. So we now even have two problems that you've now got to solve. And then it's the re-downloading, the re-uploading. Again, you've got to be able to do that on your phone or on your computer and, and, and the repurposing. So that we, we came up with that idea within Subly just to make it really easy by repurposing. Now, when it comes to subtitling, the, what you may have done before is you may send it to a freelancer and then they would have sent you back the end file and then you've got to repurpose that yourself as well, which isn't easy because you need the software to do it. You want the combination of the automatic transcription and translation or, or subtitling combined with you, the user. You, you know how you speak more than others and... Yeah, and even I'm not that clear sometimes either, Ben, so I know that. Um, but you want to be able to edit it yourself as the user. You don't want to be sending files back and forth. And content is really instant right now. And that's also another aspect that you want to do is that you want to quickly release this, this constantly. And so there's that as well. Like you need to be able to do it quickly. You need to be able to do it yourself um, and not have all these different teams that you work with. Because again, so the problem that you would have as well as a creator is you also need to um, take that piece of content. You need to add subtitles onto it and you may then need to work with multiple teams to do that. Whereas Subly, you put it straight into the Subly platform and it will automatically do the subtitling for you onto the video. And then you can edit it as you need to. And it, it makes it that simple, whereas you're not using multiple teams they're not using different products. It's all in Subly. And then the other elements around it is that if, if you're not doing this for social media as well, you may want to subtitle the video for your teams and you need something more secure than just putting it onto YouTube because actually you, you wouldn't put internal communication or product launches that, are, that need to be secure onto YouTube. So there's so much that we can unpack within within this and Subly, but yeah, it's a simple solution of it. Just It wasn't out there and the product was, was really needed. And I can attest to a couple of those. There are massive pain points. And the first one being the size of the video, the shape of the video for LinkedIn versus an Instagram story versus an Instagram square. Currently, with our system, if we put um, the subtitles on an Insta story, the writing is all over my face, which is probably a good thing, but you know, it's <laughs> not, not very convenient. And so then we have to just bin it off. And that, that is a huge pain point. 
Uh, and the other is just the speed. You kind of, I, I joke about the dictation and it not being able to understand me very well, but that still, if even if it's 100% accurate, it's a lot quicker to correct it than it is to type it up from scratch. And I guess the genius in this product is you've taken something that's been used for decades. Tell us, when was subtitling invented? Oh, it's like since the time of like TV. Right, so since the dawn of time, prehistoric. And it's never been disrupted in a way that we're trying to do it. And the other point is that content isn't just in English. It's like creators will have other, a single YouTube creator may have a huge following in Spain or France, and they want to take that English version and repurpose it for their audience because only 25% of the global population speak English. So you need to reach all that other 75% of people that want to hear your content and, and see your content. And that, that's the other challenge that they have is that there isn't, as a creator, it's not easy to do this either. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an area that needs to be disrupted and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's taking something, it's how, a lot of the most successful companies on earth started out taking a really old idea that, you know, is just a status quo idea. That's just how it is. And thinking, actually, it's not, doesn't work anymore. It's still being used because it's needed, but it's not fitting the times. Uh, and the fact that you've prioritized stuff, well, not necessarily prioritizing, but the fact that you're really uh, emphasizing a pain point of, you know, reshaping of, of subtitling for different media and no one else has done that before that in itself would make it make it a successful product let alone all of the other disruptive stuff that you're doing the translation stuff is fascinating and you mention social media followings there and this is something that i've been absolutely fascinated by with our podcast currently i'm not going to list them all out now but i just flashed up in the background here it's uh, 19 countries listen to this podcast I haven't a clue how that's happened. I'm certainly not speaking 19 languages. It's not the best example because obviously they're un they they will speak English if they're listening to uh, someone speaking English on a podcast. But it's fascinating and equally scary as to the reach you can have with anything that's distributed online, right? Um, so if we were to move this podcast on to a YouTube uh, version at some point I'd hope that we would still attract those listeners and then we may be able to expand in certain territories if, if we're able to subtitle it or maybe sometimes someone who does speak English would like to actually just have their their native tongue flash up just because it's more familiar so talk to us through how that works the complexities of it and and you know it's daily use cases like right now if, if someone's watching my video in Spain uh, what what does it actually look like in principle? Yeah, so how we've built out the translation piece is that we want to make our product so easy to use that you don't need to be a translator and it's easy to share with someone. If you uh, want to, Ben, if you want to send this to someone in Spain, you don't speak Spanish, then you could send it to someone in your community and they could validate that for you as well, that, that translation. So... I'll just talk through a couple of use cases. The first one is if you're a creator and have a YouTube channel, you may have a specific following in a specific country. And all you need to do is upload the version that you have. So say that you speak English and the, and the YouTube videos in English, you upload it to Sublink and you just edit and check the transcript. The subtitles already appear and then you'll see the changes happen. From that point, you just click 
translate, it will translate into uh, the language that you acquire. So say you want to select it into Spanish, you just click Spanish, and that translation will automatically happen. And then you can just check that transcript as you would the Subly Classic that you've just done, your, your ne- the, the UK version. And then you could then edit it and you can ch- get someone to check it for you. You speak Spanish just to check it uh, that you may need. And then you can download the video transcript for Spanish if you just want to send people the transcript. Or you can then burn the actual subtitles onto the video like you would the English version and download the English version and the Spanish version. So you have both versions. Um, so they would get downloaded straight away. And so that's from a, a use case of a YouTuber. Yeah, I was going to say the other use case might be um, for an internal communications team, which is what we see a lot, but there's many use cases for it too. Is this like your real excuse for being on the road? You're saying to investors, I have to move from country to country to test Subly out in foreign. Yeah, I like it. The whole of Tenerife and just asking, actually everyone here is English pretty much, I feel. but um... yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then Croatian and then Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah. No, g- genius plan, Holly, genius plan. <laughs> in terms of use cases on that, though, another massive one is, well, I, I think it's the, the use case you're about to say anyway, if you've got, so we've recently taken on a client that operates in eight or nine countries, uh, most of them English speaking, but still there, there are non-English speaking countries out of those as well. That enables a company like that to record content, um, be it an inter- I mean, be it a meeting, it could be a board meeting or whatever, or you know, actual content they want to put out to employees and just translate it at a push of a button? Yes, correct. The problem that I had probably from my, one of my first roles um, as a grad was I was working in internal communications and in product marketing and we needed to take a video that we produced in English and then distribute this into 15 other languages. And what we would do is then send this internally, this video, and our team would need to manually transcribe it. So we would have the English version, but they'd have to then look at the and how they would manually transcribe it into and translate into another language, just the transcript. There's no other way that we'd get that transcript onto the video. And this still this is still goes through the same process today. You still have teams doing this whole process. And we've known that from our user interviews that it's not an easy process for a translator and a transcriber to do this. And so it, it came from that pain point that I'd had in the past that still has not been disrupted. And translation is just a huge area for internal teams product teams demos we've also seen user testing videos we've seen startups that have needed to that have pitched in uk but they need to then provide this to a team who don't speak english and they want to uh, invest in them and you see this all the time on pitching videos but no one really puts subtitles on them so now you allow you can now spread the word um, about your products through subly and yeah it's a the translation is a big piece that needs to be solved and we that's what all that we're doing right now is just to make all content really global that's our, our main mission yeah and it's so fitting because there's an irony to covid that it stopped the world you know we couldn't move anywhere we could, but you know sometimes we couldn't even leave the house in lockdowns and by doing so it made a lot of us more globalized you know, country companies realizing that they can hire in different countries and they get good talent, they get high caliber talent there. Um, you know, usually if it's a UK company, they'll be looking for UK speakers. But the fact that they have this added to it to 
market themselves in those territories or just yeah, just have that in itself. Language is the key to everything. Every relationship has to start with some common commonality around the language that we're speaking, right? So just to solve the language barrier burden slightly with subtitles is one step, you know, really big step towards uh, creating a bit of cohesion there. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely fitting to companies suddenly realizing we can have employees everywhere and those employees realizing that they can also work anywhere. And so, yeah, what I wanted to unpack was like the audacity of it, because when you're raising money and investors give you that money, they expect you to work for that business 100% of the time. And we absolutely do, right? You don't get subly from naught to 60,000 listeners without working day and night. So that's never in doubt. But it's this kind of stateless quo thinking that you also need to be in a crappy office and you don't leave that office. You know, you didn't even work from home previously. It was like you are dedicated, you eat, sleep, breathe your work and you don't leave the office. So you're really breaking the mold there. And it's made me think, actually, do I? And we had the same instinctive thing that we'll get an office in London and that's what we did, but we haven't even used it. Whether we've just got desk space, we've not used it because we've been in lockdowns. And it's during that time that we've actually employed people in other parts of the UK. And I've started coming around to this thinking of why do we need to why do we need to stick to this status quo? When there are so many options out there, the whole world, this inadvertent experiment of working from anywhere is quite successful. So actually talk me through how people received it when you said, actually, this is what I'm going to do. I'm moving to Lisbon and I'm going to run the business from Lisbon whilst you're raising money and you're growing a serious business. Talk me through any of the hurdles that appeared at that point. Yeah, well, I suppose the first hurdle that I had and anyone would experience is that when you're a when you're building that business, you're actually investing your money in this business as well. And there was an, I was working nine to five in another company and I was in London and actually, so I'm first, I was 30 at this point. I moved back home to my dad's house in London because I could not afford London living and having a full-time job that paid pretty well. And then investing my money into paying my team. It just couldn't be done. And so the biggest thing for me was like, I can't afford to live in London. And my salary is very small in startup founder because you don't have a big salary at the start. And so why, like I was very unhappy at that point. No one at the age of 30 wants to live at their father's house when they've been living by themselves in Australia, then they come home. And so I was unhappy to begin with. So I need to kind of either one, work out how I'm going to get the salaries up for all the team, including me. Um, but actually like that, that was not, that was not okay for me. Our product and our business had been functioning for 18 months as all remote before anyone needs to go into an office. We didn't really need, we'd all been doing this online. We'd all been meeting and doing zoom meetings, Slack meetings. We were all being remote. Why did we need to commute to a place of work and pay extortionate rates of rent? in London, no one wants to do this. Everyone has their families. And then what we're seeing is that actually no one's really looking forward when they live further outside of London. Are they really looking forward to commuting three days a week if I was gonna require that from them? I wouldn't know anyway, but even if they lived out in Leicester, for example, would they be okay with commuting three days a week to an office? Absolutely not. Like they've moved out to Leicester because that's where they wanna live. 
And for me, it's more like, are they happy? Have you got a happy team? If you have a happy team, they have a happy product. You have users that are happy to work, to kind of rally around that product because we're building a great product and everyone's happy that works with us. And that was, that was, ha- that was going through my, my mindset. And yes, I had pushback from investors who were like, I don't know if you remember first pitching for a pre-seed round. They were saying, you can't build a remote team. One of you has to work in the UK. The whole team has to be in the UK. It's like, I don't know if it will be, but let's just see how this goes. And then as it starts to evolve and how did, and how the whole of us, all of us got locked down anyway, my co-founder couldn't even move to the UK. I couldn't bring the team over. Australia is in lockdown and still can't move. And so, yeah, the, the really came from us was that we decided to keep remote and I also needed to move out of my father's house. And the easiest way for me to do that was actually to find somewhere in the world that was easy to live. It was cheaper to live and I could have a better lifestyle. And that was really what, what did it for me. And then as that happened, we were growing the team as well. We didn't need them in the UK or in London. We could build a team based on their skill sets. And we have a really talented team um, all around the world now. And also the other thing for us is that we are a global company. We don't want just everyone on the UK time zone. We need to be able to speak with those customers that are in Singapore, in Canada, in Australia. We could have done that with just UK time zone employees. Um, so actually it's worked to our benefit that we've all been remote and it's just, it, it grew organically in that way. So I've interviewed about 15 people on this podcast so far and most are actively building remote teams or at the very least embracing a big remote aspect in day-to-day work. And we've chewed the fat on the positives, the negatives. And to this point, and I'm one of those guys that really likes going to the office. I, even this week, I, I'm in the office three out of five. But I cannot, in, in its strictly clinical, sober business sense, I cannot, for the life of me, find more positives to office work in the negatives. They're just not. And you've just rattled a few of them off right there. If you've got customers in other time zones, shouldn't you also be in other time zones? If you've got better talent in other places, shouldn't you let them work in other places? If it's you get a better standard of living for the money that you can afford to draw out from your business, would it not make sense to move to that country? And... I want to see more people like you sticking to your guns and saying, this is what I'm doing and just taking a bit of a, it's a slightly rebellious step to the status quo of entrepreneurship, but you, you're, um, you know, you're, you're the success story of that. And I'm sure the business will continue to grow on that trajectory. And you would have been absolutely as successful had you been in a basement office in, in Moorgate, but you know, I might have even been less successful. This business might have been less successful because I might have been very miserable. That's it. That's it. We've we've been able to save and rather than putting money into an office space, we've been able to employ more team members. And that that was the key part for us is like, it's not going to matter where that person is as long as they have, they're living in a place that they want to live in and they can, you know, be enjoy being in a part of a startup. I really didn't want to make people commute and and just be miserable on that tube if they don't want to be um we've all been there (laughs) on a monday morning when you don't want to commute sometimes i don't want people to feel like that their commute might be walking down the beach in sydney um and that that that's what i'd like to see yeah you're kind of selling to me now like i might actually just give back this hot desk i've got in moorgate um so i've been obviously watching uh subly 
continued to just roar along since we initially met a couple of months back. And yeah, can't wait to, to continue it. Uh, what to continue, uh, continue seeing your success. And now I am the 60,000th and first user, obviously. Um, but before Subly, you have quite an interesting CV. You mentioned you're living in Australia. You, you're a YouTuber. You've worked at Google. Uh, but let's just talk about Holly. Let's go back to the start and uh, talk about the journey that brought you here to this point. Sure. Um, so actually, I if I just rewind quite a bit, that in at university I've always been so my career and my education actually began in marketing. So I did a degree in marketing. I was at Nottingham Trent University. I'm originally from Birmingham and had a really strong Bromley accent. Um, and yeah, from that point, I really didn't know what I wanted, but I always thought, okay, marketing looks like the route for me. It's a bit creative. Um, and there's, there's multiple areas to marketing as well, but just started there. And that's when my career is kind of, um, came to light was then went into internal communications in Xerox and product marketing at Xerox as well and that I really never thought that I'd be in tech either I I like technology but I wouldn't say I'm using every single bit of technology I'm also not a gamer but I I, I appreciate all areas of technology I was really on the marketing side and then I went on to another company called Mimecast and loved working there in partner marketing with the sales team um and from that point, I really thought that I just wanted to make a little bit extra, not just working for everyone else. And a few of my friends are reading Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week. Oh, I've read that. Yeah, I've tried it. <laughs> they try it and you cannot do it, Tim, I swear. It doesn't work. It, it, there's a lot of wisdom in there. There's a lot of golden nuggets. Also, it's quite outdated. I think he's done a. Uh, I think he's done a refresher. But yeah, um, I got it down to four and a half hours. But that's as far as I got. Yeah. So I was reading this book, and I was working at Mimecast at this point, and I was like, "Okay, I really want to start an idea." I came up with so many different ideas. Some of them were so wacky. But I actually helped my friend with his coconut oil business. Is where I first started. And then I also started to try and begin an events side business as well. Um, and both I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of also, you just have to use WordPress at this point. WordPress was really clunky. There was no Squarespace. Um, there wasn't anything really making it easy for someone to start a website. I just didn't know where to start. And I remember speaking to a few of my friends who are really successful entrepreneurs now. Uh, one of them actually sold his business to Zapier. Um, and I remember us just like scheming about different ideas that we might have. And that's kind of where it all started. But I really didn't know what I was doing. I decided to stay working nine to five, trying to build a business plan. And from that point, actually, Google asked me to start a product, uh, project for them called the Digital Garage, which is really well known now by Google. I think I started this with the team around six years ago when it first began. And we were doing in-person workshops in Leeds, in Manchester, um, and all around the UK and then that product actually scaled uh, into Europe and into Australia um, but then I moved over I did that product for around a year and a half and then went over to Australia I'd stopped doing these other businesses now my friends uh, went over to Australia and helped launch Google Pay for Australia and New Zealand did that for around six months had another six months of my visa uh, thought I was going to get thrown out or I had to do farm work. And if anyone knows me, I'm not doing farm work whatsoever. Um, I'm a bit of a diva at that. So I'm not, not going picking any fruit um, and decided to start my, my own marketing consultancy 
And I, I was able to get a few clients from that in the tech space. And that agency did pretty well and then continued to work on that within inside a company for around a year and a half. I also started another business to help women start their own tech businesses called Triangles. And that had 3000 women in the community. And that's where that YouTube channel was really starting because I wanted to help more women online. And, and we had women all over the world wanted to join our, our community. And so that's how it kind of all came together. And then that's the point that the YouTube channel started. I also um, did a few episodes on Sky News and, and presented on blockchain and cryptocurrency as I was really interested in that many years ago. And so my the, the key element that kind of came out of this is like, just don't be afraid to start something. You don't really know where it's going to go. I had no idea that just starting a coconut oil business and helping my friend out with his business would lead to Google asking me to help them with a product because it was for small businesses that sold in-person products and needed websites. And I was kind of helping them do that. So you just don't know where things are going to go. Um, and that's probably the main learning is just don't, don't be afraid to start anything. And that's a note to myself, I always think. Um, and you just, yeah, you just don't know where that journey is going to go. Yeah, amen to that. And uh, you don't sit still, do you, Holly? I'm very impressed. So I'm a bit like that. If I, it's not all detailed on my CV, but I mean, over the years, I've tried some like outlandish ideas and schemes. And, um, you know, some worked and, and some didn't. Um, I, I had a previous business. Um, and then I kind of went a conventional route. I thought I really need to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to become a serious businessman. So I went to work for uh, tech startups, one in Australia who were launched in the UK. Uh, and then I ended up getting plucked out of there by a Silicon Valley firm to launch their brand in the UK. And so I learned business at um, a more serious level within just chasing an idea and the hustle, right? Um, and now that we're going through building what I hope will become another serious business, we're entering a whole new phase of learning here. But a lot of the way that it should be done, you know, we kind of touched on it with where you're meant to work from, but just this is what you need to do. This is what you need to read. And this is the structure. My little schoolyard selling sweets hustle instinct kind of goes against it sometimes. And I feel like it makes me a little bit stubborn and I'll rebel against what I should be doing. Have you found similar? Because you've got a way more interesting path in that, that you're, you're setting up a side hustle with, uh, with, a, with a small product. And then all of a sudden you're working at Google. Like it's such a contrast over the years. Have you found that they've somehow uh, collided and, and, and butted heads at points? Yeah, I think the main thing that I've seen is that I had really good grounding from a lot of these corporates that I'd worked with. So even starting my career at Xerox and internal comms, I did see that, yes, there was, um, there was a lot of structure because you're a big, big corporation. The same with Google. We were very big at that stage when I joined. Uh, but the product within Google was a startup. And you had that funding, whereas when I worked in product management, we didn't have any funding. Um, and so you've can't, rather than butting heads, they actually worked together because, yeah, there was maybe bureaucracy that you're used to within a big organization and a lot of red tape. But actually, you now need those things in a startup as you start to grow. And you need that structure and you need that strategy and you need to think, OK, these are all the elements of a business that have to work together. And when your company goes from five people to eight people, that's a that's even a big jump then because now you've got to get those teams to work together. I remember listening to the Ben Horowitz uh, audiobook on the hard things about hard things. 
And he does say that actually looking at an org chart is great, but when you have the challenge of actually bringing and your team together and making them talk to each other and work together, and you do see that happen within corporates and how they bring that together and how they must get product to work with marketing and tech work with product. And it's all those elements that I kind of learned. I wouldn't say necessarily butted together. Yes, there was frustrations in a corporate that we all get and all sign-offs and legals and things taking too much time and all, and all of that. But you actually learn a lot of good piece of grounding that you then can bring into the rest of that startup or that business. And you do need that, that structure. Um, so I'd say... No, I say butting heads, but I'd say that um, it, I learned a lot from that corporate world um, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah, well, you've managed to align them really well. You've managed to bring them together. You know, you've learned from the corporate world. You've learned from the, you know, selling coconut oil and in, in the evenings. You've literally built this business in, you know, as your, as your side hustle. And you've brought them together really, really well. Um I'd like to say I've done the same thing, but what I have, I didn't seem to do it both at once. I either did one or the other, and now that I've had the experience of both, they do come together nicely, but sometimes they contradict. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's always fascinating. It's kind of life experience versus education. I've got friends of mine that have done really well that have an MBA. But at the end, if we just get into a knowledge off, it's fascinating. Most of the stuff we cross over because I have the life experience now, but there's lots of things that they know that I don't. I'll never pretend to, you know, be smarter than someone's done an MBA. But there is an equal amount, if not more, on the other side. And you only get that from making fucking mistakes. You know, you have to do small things and make mistakes on a small scale and, and learn, um, you know, small-time business instinct. And it is absolutely relevant to all levels of business. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's good to hear. And uh, I'm sure it's... Um, shapes you into the entrepreneur you are today so what's next for Subly? next thing for us is we've just finished our second funding round which we've done two funding rounds in um yeah a year which is a bit crazy we wouldn't have expected that but this is really now to expand our team and to build those features really quickly but also actually scrap the features and just take a step back and go okay what is working what isn't working look at our data what our customers saying to us this is really now getting us to the next stage. We've now at this point where we have product market fit with Subly Pro, which is the version you pay for. You can start Subly for free, but you go onto Pro typically. And we have product market fit with that, but product market fit is just not one point in time. Like we need to keep innovating. So it's that balance now that we need to get between building more features, improving our product and service and expanding that team. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be improving our translation. It will be improving the accuracy of our product. And that's what we really want to see. And it's really about making sure that we are building a, a product around our users and we're expanding at the same time. So that's what Subly really is for us. Yeah, and I, I can vouch for Subly. I've just started using it and it's a very good piece of kit. Also, you've made Subtitles cool. It's a cool brand. I mean, I'm not going to ask you how you thought of the name. <laughs> well, you know what this is really interesting because when I first started this I didn't care about the name and I'm a marketeer and I did not spend any time whatsoever on a name and it wasn't called Subly when I first started what was it called take one video dot app oh catchy yeah so catchy but it was all around um we actually Kevin and I have launched stuff before and we spent far too much time registering domain thinking of a business name not getting it off the ground just like get a business out there a lot of businesses change their name so what does it matter? And somebody may be called a different name in the future, but 
I'm really glad that you said Sub Lee has now made subtitles cool because it's one of those things that you ever think anyone could do is make subtitling cool. Um, but actually, the name Sub Lee came out of Founder Institute, and one of my friends just said, why don't you call it Subtly? And I was like, nah, that's not right. And in the end, it ended up being Subly. Um, so yeah, that's how it all came around, was from an accelerator program I went on and a very good friend suggesting something similar to it. Yeah, well, hey, it's um, I was just trying to wrap my brain for other brands that made really boring stuff cool. And the closest thing I found was Zero, <laughs> which, but as a brand and a name, it's synonymous with accounting software. And I absolutely am convinced that somebody will always be synonymous with, with subtitling. And I can't wait to see more. Holly Stevens, thank you so much. That was an epic interview. And I can't wait to catch your season two. Oh, I can't wait. Thanks so much, Ben. Cool. Well, what an awesome guest. Thanks so much to Holly. That was a brilliant conversation, a brilliant story. And I just love hearing about grassroots entrepreneurship, side hustles, but also she's learned how to scale companies and the professionalism that you get from working for the likes of Google, applied it to a very, very good product, a very good brand like Subly, had entered the market at the right time and they've had explosive growth and it's amazing to see. I can also attest to this product because we use Subly. It's great. So get on over to getsubly.com and check it out. And can't wait to keep an eye on these guys as they grow. Holly's growing a global team while circumnavigating the globe. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And yeah, hopefully I managed to like intercept them on their travel somewhere as we're doing season two global tour, you know? Anyway, join us this time next week. As ever, we're talking to another amazing 2020 entrepreneur. If you like what you hear so far, please do rate us. And thank you so much for listening to the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club. We'll see you next week.